here waiting for our silver invitation to the big band. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Man on Second podcast on the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Network. I'm Joe Frasaro, joined by our esteemed co-host and producer, Dave D'Agostino. And as always, our mission here and the network is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. And we will do our part today by bringing in former big league pitcher Jared Cozart. But before Jared comes in, let's bring in Dave with some announcements. Welcome, Dave. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yes, yeah, as, as we were talking before the show, uh, the, the production network is booming now. Six shows. We're about to add four more um, in the next coming weeks and bring back our roundtable. So we'll be up in double digits with shows. And want to thank our audience for that. 18,200 subscribers right now. Make sure you continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. Because with the rate and review, we battle the analytics of the podcast world, much like we do in baseball. We're on episode 190 right now. So as you're streaming us, make sure you get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Today's Facebook post, I do one live every day, and it was about trying to figure out who's which gurus you should and shouldn't go to. So check that out, and I think you'll get a good glimpse of that today with our guest. We're now in 72 countries, grassroots, all the way to MLB front offices, so we have the ear of the right people. We're just trying to build a better baseball IQ, as Joe mentioned earlier. And just a disclaimer to our audience, I know our audience loves our honesty, and if you haven't listened to the shows before, just buckle up and prepare to embrace some of the uncomfortable truths that we bring about with baseball, because none of our shows have time for some of the comfortable lies that are being spread out there. So with that, Joe, I'll let you introduce our guest. Yeah, yeah, I I forgot to mention this in our our intro, but I do want to, before we bring Jared in, I do want to say, Dave, I went and saw, remember a couple months ago, we had Lindsay Berra on and and the the movie now, It Ain't Over, the Yogi Berra documentary is out. I did go and see it. It was here in South Florida, and, you know, Lindsay was gracious with her time, obviously Yogi's granddaughter, and uh, we encourage everybody to go see It Ain't Over if it gets near you. Um, I hope it gets there in South Carolina, Dave, so you can check it out as well. Well, yeah, I'll travel to see it. I'm I'm a big Yogi fan. Yeah, yeah, with no further ado, let's bring in Jared Kosar. First of all, Jared, happy belated birthday, my friend. I believe you turned 33 yesterday, so welcome to the show and happy birthday. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, another year older, I guess. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quick, quick update, uh, uh, background on, on, on Jared. Jared spent far, parts of five seasons in the big leagues from 2013 to 17, pitched for the Astros, Marlins, uh, Padres. Um, uh, Jared is from uh, Texas. Uh, he went to Clear Creek High School in League City, Texas. And, um, you know, he's a guy, a uh, 38th rounder. They don't even have more than 20 rounds now. So with, by the Phillies in 2008. Uh, and so he's been out of the game since 17, but we know he, he wants to get back in in various capacities. Uh, but, Jared, catch people up uh, with what you're doing and, and, you know, what you want to do in the future. Yeah, I'm uh, back in Houston, which, which south of Houston, which is home for me. Um, I have a now five-year-old little girl named Finley. Um, so I have a dad life, a lot of dad life. I'm about to get her today, actually, for the uh, entire summer. So we got a Disney World trip planned and going out to California to see my parents. And uh, that's pretty much that takes up a, a bulk of my time. But other than that, I, uh, I'm given lessons here and there, pitching lessons to uh, ages nine and up. So trying to stay involved in the game in that capacity. Um, I did a small internship with an oil and gas company and uh, uh, I missed the game a little bit more than I thought. So it wasn't for me. I didn't end up uh, working with it, but uh, trying to make my way back in, in some capacity, I, you know, I've thought about scouting uh, uh, now with all the analytics stuff. It's, it's pretty intriguing. Um, just, I'd like to get back in the game in some some way, shape, or form, broadcasting, something like that. Yeah, well, you know, hopefully uh, it goes well for you, and and you'll probably have an open invite to return on this show and this network whenever you want to help advance that. But just to catch some of our our listeners up for who don't really um, remember Jared's path, but he he had some interesting parts of his career. He was part of three trades. <laughs> and uh, back in 2011, uh, he was when he was with the Phillies organization. He was uh, sent to the Astros as part of the Hunter 
intense deal. Then in 2014, this is where I met Jared when he got traded to the Miami Marlins. Uh, late July, right about the deadline, it was a pretty big trade at the time. Jared Austin Waits, uh, Kike Hernandez were, were sent from Miami to, um, to Houston for Jake Marisnik, Francis Marte, Colin Moran, the Marlins former first rounder, who I think still in the big leagues, and a competitive balance pick. And then in 16, um, in July, Jerry and was traded to the Padres along with Carter Capps, Luis Castillo, yes, that pitcher with the Mariners, Luis Castillo, Josh Naylor, yes, the you know playing for the Cleveland Guardians for Andrew Kashner, Tehran Guerrero, and Colin Ray. Uh, who only pitched like one game for the Marlins, got hurt. And and I'm not sure, Jerry, you're aware Colin Ray is still pitching. He's made a comeback. He's with the Brewers now. My question to you, obviously you're you're part of some major trades. What was that process like and, and you know, the challenges for a player, you know, to move on from one organization to the next as you're, you're kind of building your career? I don't know how it is for most people, but um, my two – the trade from Philadelphia and the trade from Houston were complete shock to me as a player. Um, and you don't really know how to feel about it at the time because, I mean, you feel like the team is heavily invested in you. Obviously, no one's attitudes changed toward me within the organization. I felt like um, I had a great relationship with all of my coaches, front office, teammates. So it's definitely a shock. And, you know, I, I don't Again, I'm speaking just for myself here. Um, it it kind of hurts um, at first um, because you do feel that connection. Obviously, the Phillies took a big chance on on me being a skinny little high school kid in the 38th round. They gave me a pretty big signing bonus, um, but but I felt like they were heavily invested in in my ability. And uh, you know, I thought I was going to be pitching behind the likes of you know Roy Halladay, rest in peace, um, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels. I thought I was going to be uh, able to, to work my way into that rotation. And I was looking forward to, to that. Obviously they had won a world series there in 2008 when I got drafted. Um, so, so I was really looking forward to it. And then, um, you know, the trade comes as a shock and obviously I was a little bit more excited about being traded to Houston because it was my hometown team. So I guess the, uh, the hurt kind of turns into excitement and then, uh, you know, I got to pitch at home for a little bit and then I was, uh, I had a pretty good, rookie rookie season and I, I was doing pretty well in 2014 halfway through the year and um you know they just it, it happens so fast the gms comes in says thanks for your services and someone from the marlins or padres or you know whoever will be calling you soon <laughs> yeah yeah that it's it's just a wild ride because i guess you can look at it a couple of ways one uh when teams want you <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're trading for you. So that's the good thing. But two, like you say, you know, why are you being traded from, you know, like you say, a great situation in Philly. And, and we obviously saw how it developed out in, in Houston as well. Uh, but you're also a young man at the time. I think you debuted at age 23. So that's a lot to process. And how much you think from the, from the mental side of it, uh, do, do players, uh, do you recommend how the how to kind of handle the business end of it. Obviously, like you say, you're, you're developing trust with pitching coaches, with uh, with coordinators, with, you know, people in the front office that, that are kind of taking your managers, you know, as, but you also know that could change in a heartbeat and you're next thing you know, you're somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, that's kind of the, the questioning part you do as a player. And I think it's natural for any player to be like, okay, um, I know that the teams always will tell you, you know, they, they traded you for, you know, the future of the, the team. You know, they're looking down the road, you know, whether it's they got some young guys or they're trying to win now. You know, a lot of it depends on the state of the organization when you get traded. But, you know, as an individual, you're like, OK, is this is are they lying to me? You know, did, did they just not like me? Was there some friction between, you know, somebody in the organization? Because obviously there's through every organization, there is guys in the front office, there's managers, there's coaches that have more pull than others. So, you know, questions like that come in, come into play. Uh, definitely. I think, uh, as long as from a player standpoint, you don't start to question yourself as a player and, and you keep that mindset, like you just touched on that somebody does want me, someone does feel like I can help their organization in some capacity, whether that's as a, you know, as a mentor to younger players, whether that's, you know, Obviously, performance always comes into play. You know, I don't think anyone will get traded because they're a bad player. Um, obviously, some people go through some, some rough patches in their career. Or they're having some rough outings here and there. But someone in that other organization sees the silver lining of what this guy 
could potentially be. That's what trades are all about is potential um, within an organization. And obviously, uh, you know, everyone always asks me, well, did you get traded because you sucked? <laughs> and I was like, well, well, I, when you I'm, say, hey, you were traded for Hunter Pence. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I, a, well, that's, a, that's an interesting, you know, like that has to feel pretty good. Like, hey, I'm part of that trade. But do you also feel any pressure when you're obviously they are the teams that, you know, we mentioned are acquiring, you know, hey, we're in win now mode. You know, we're giving a young kid to to Houston, which wasn't in win now immediately then. But, you know, the Phillies with that lineup, the pitching staff you noted earlier, uh, getting a, a you know star player like Pence. Yeah, and, and I, I, my agent, I, I was new. Like you said, I was a high school kid at that time. Um, pretty much just turning 20, 21 around, I think, that around that year. Um, you you kind of just lean on your, your agent, your family, and just kind of, they, they're just like, yeah, oh, they, they wanted someone to try to help them win the World Series now. And you're a, a quote, prospect, and you have a high ceiling. So, um Basically, Philly was willing to part ways with you for something that could help them win now. And, you know, I under, I completely understood that one. The uh, the trade from Houston came, you know, a little a little bit more of a surprise um, to me, I guess. I think mainly because being a hometown kid and I had performed, you know, pretty well. Um, obviously, uh, throughout the course of my career, I have no problem talking about it. Walks were my biggest uh, downfall. Um, so, but other than that, you know, my stuff was never an issue. I was a, you know, a fast arm guy threw hard, had a pretty good curveball changeup was okay, but I understand, yeah, the, the trade from Philly to Houston was all about upside and a potential, hopefully top of the rotation starter. And then made my way in the big leagues with Houston and, and, and had a decent run. And then, uh, that trade kind of shocked me to Miami, but I was, you talk about the mental side. I was definitely out to prove you know, the Astros wrong. And I don't know if that's the best approach to have during a trade. I think everybody's mental is, is different, but uh, I ended up coming into Miami and, and doing really well. And then I think when I got traded to San Diego, I was, you know, I had a lot of issues. I'm sure we'll touch on later in, in Miami with, with yeah. injuries and things like that. But uh, I, I felt like I got traded from Miami because, you know, I, I wasn't performing well and San Diego still might've had that glimmer of hope as, you know, the upside was still there and maybe some of the stuff was, but, um, I think Miami, I just had too many injuries and, and some other stuff go on and, and uh, kind of made my way out at the, at the yeah. back end of my career. Yeah, that was a weird trade as I go back and remember that because it was kind of when I look at the names here, a, a young Kike Hernandez, a young Jake Marisnik, uh Francis Marte, who had real upside, but I think he had a PED thing with him too, and he, he kind of went out. But then he had Colin Moran, who was a first rounder. It was, it was like that was prospect almost for prospects, but they were looking for I, I think the Marlins were looking for a little more pitching and they and they saw you already in the big league rotation. So that that made you attractive to them. And then, you know, getting, you know, Marisnik, you know, athletic outfielder with it was I think he was a top twenty prospect at the time. And uh Jake's a great kid and you know, love covering him. The bat never caught up to the glove. And so that was the fascinating one. But then, like you noted in sixteen, you know, when you're going to to the pod, you know, to the Padres, obviously the Marlins, you know, you know, we know what happened at the end of 16, but you know, uh, you know, Andrew Kashner was joining Jose Fernandez. They needed, they needed to win, you know, they were trying to roll the dice and win that year. And, uh, and Kashner just didn't pan out. And, you know, but the guys they, they got rid of when you're looking at the, the second, you know, Luis Castillo, who actually got traded, you know, that they flipped, Colin Ray and Castillo and reversed that because the Padres weren't exactly on the up and up with the medicals on Colin Ray. So that, that came on. And then this is another story for another day when the Marlins the next year flipped Luis Castillo for Dan Straley and one of the worst moves the franchise ever made. But, you know, that's not what we're talking about today. So, you know, just, yeah, like you said, it was, it was interesting that that middle one getting you to Miami and, and talk about your, your time with, with the Marlins and, you know, that was a pretty darn good team. They just didn't really have enough depth to get into the postseason to make the run they all were hoping for. Yeah, I, I uh, it's another reason I said, like, the, the shock at first when you get traded. But then, you know, I look on at the roster um, configuration when I'm going to Miami, and I'm like, wow. I mean, it's funny in the big leagues, you don't really pay attention a lot to the standings and whatnot, but you, you definitely know all the players and things like that. You know, so I look and you, you see, you know, John Carlos Stanton, Christian Yelich, uh, you know, JT Real Muto coming up. You got all the, I mean, I think we had six or seven guys in the starting lineup that made 
have made an all-star, if not multiple all-star appearances. So I'm like, I go from a team that had a very below average offense in Houston to a team I'm like, wow, we should be able to score a lot of runs. Um, obviously, the pitching staff, you had Jose, who's, you know, maybe one of the best to ever do it, and obviously the un- unfortunate accident that he had. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of excitement for me going to Miami, and then, I mean, Don Mattingly. Just a, a lot of high names, high profiles. Um, you know, it's it, it's like everyone's hoping that for the city of Miami, it would be great to bring another World Series back there, you know. Yeah, yeah, fascinating times. Dave, jump in. Yeah, Jared, I think uh, if, if you wouldn't mind, we have a, as you said in the intro, we have audience grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. And with the reduction of the draft now, explain to people just how miraculous it is that a draft pick in the mid-30s, you were drafted in the mid-30 rounds, those aren't guys earmarked for the bigs. And the fact that you made it to the bigs with, with multiple clubs is amazing. I want to two-part one. Give us a scatter report on Jared Cozart when you, when you first got drafted as a pitcher. Uh, give us that scouting report and then talk about your journey from draft pick to the majors. Uh, well, definitely out of high school, I was just, um, I was a very raw athlete. Um, I, I had the uh, batting average record at my high school. I played outfield. I, you know, I ran a six, five sixty. I, you know, I threw 101 from the outfield at, at a showcase event. Um, so I, I fit the mold of a, you know, I think the Phillies are still that way. I, I was a typical Phillies draft pick. I mean, I think about all the guys that I was in the locker room with during that time. It was a lot of multi-sport athletes um, that played football, basketball, baseball, had multiple scholarship offers. Um, so the Phillies like to, to take gambles on, on players like that. And I was really just an athlete. I had no idea what I was doing on the mound out of high school. I still don't know if I ever really even figured it out in the big leagues. Um, but I guess I did it. I guess I did enough to get there and hang around for a little bit, but uh, um, they, you know, the Phillies saw me throwing 97 miles an hour as a 160 pounds soaking wet, you know, senior in high school. So, um, yeah, I was I was dead set on going to college. I think my mom still holds some uh, grudges that I didn't go to college, but uh, the Phillies ended up uh, offering me second round money in that in, in that uh, 38th round slot, and the only reason they were able to do that is because a guy by the name of Ryan. Weber, I believe he didn't sign as their supplemental uh, first round pick that year. So that freed up some money for them. And I signed the day of the draft. Um, or excuse me, the, the day that I had like the very last day, the deadline day is when I signed um, with the Phillies. And then, yeah, started the minor league, uh, the minor league adventure, the, the life of everybody's dreams. <laughs> what, what were some of the stops you had in the minor? I spent three seasons in the minors and, I kind of I, when I was listening to the trade stuff, you had some high profile trades. I, I have 30 different hats, 30 hats <laughs> in three years. So you and I can start a counseling group together. I'm, I'm definitely good with that. Um, I started in the in uh, the Gulf Coast League uh, down in Clearwater. It's been a lot of time in Clearwater. Actually, I had a couple nagging injuries. I had a little hamstring strain, a little elbow strain kind of when I was first getting my taste of of all the throwing that I'd never done before. Um, but I started on the Gulf Coast League in Clearwater. I made my way up to Lakewood, New Jersey. Um, pitched for Mark Parent, who was one of my favorite managers uh, that I've ever played for at any level. Um, then I went down to uh, Clearwater, Florida. I had Dusty Wathen, who's now the uh, third base coach for the Phillies, another great manager. Um, made my way in the trade to Corpus Christi, uh, Texas played for Keith Bodie down there. Also, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of playing at all levels for a lot of good, uh, pitching coaches. Um, uh, Wayne Rosenthal with, uh, Miami as a coordinator. He was also one of my favorites. Um, Gary we had Rosie on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's, he's coaching right now. I didn't mean to cut you off, Jared, but he's coaching Calvary Christian Academy in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, they went to the regional final, and they, they ended up losing that. But but he's coaching, and his boy is a sophomore uh, who's, who's really good. So uh, I'll reach out and, and let him know that, you know, you mentioned him. But, yeah, yeah continue. He's, yeah, he was, like I said, one of my favorites. Uh, and then I ended up uh, going from double-A AA to triple-A. I played in Oklahoma City up there for uh, Tony DeFrancesco. He ended up getting a little uh, managing job for a short period of time with the Astros, uh, another great one. And then I ended up uh, going up to the big leagues after that. Um, with the Astros, got my call up 
uh, in July of 2013 and, and debuted out in Tampa against David Price. And I tell you, that's probably the most surreal moment you know, that I've had was getting a Twitter message at one o'clock in the morning from David Price saying, good luck, kid. Um, enjoy it. There's nothing like your first, uh, first start in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, obviously I didn't sleep that entire night, but to go out there and, and face him, um, super high profile, all-star, you know, one of the best pitchers in the game at that time, um, ended up having a great career. You know, that, that, that was still probably to date my most, uh, surreal moment. Um, just laying there at the hotel in Tampa, like, wow, David Price just messaged me on Twitter. Like, that's, I'm, I'm here. You know, I guess, I, I guess this is me making it. And then, you know, going into that debut, throwing my first six balls down the bullpen, rolling it down by the dugout, having the whole Astros team look over, like, is this kid serious right now? Um, then going out there and, and taking a no hitter through six and a third and uh, ended up getting the win and kind of the rest was. You know, the rest was a blur after that, honestly. The next four years, those were the quickest four years of my life. <laughs> who, who was the first person you called when you got the news? My parents. I was in Round Rock, Texas. Um, they had actually scratched me from my start. Um, and me, I was so dumb. I, I had, you know, I just was, I was angry, actually. I was really, really mad. I was like, I wasn't even hurt. I hadn't had any time on the disabled list or anything. And, uh, uh, Tony, I remember him telling me, he's like, you're not pitching today. And I was like, what do you mean I'm not pitching today? I'm, I'm fine. He's like, I just, I can't throw you today. You know, there's some stuff going on. And I was like, oh, whatever. So I'm mad. And, uh, after the game, we ended up winning and we had, you know, the, the team meeting after the game and Tony kind of started fake yelling at people. And then, uh, he's like, if y'all keep playing like this, you're never going to go to the big leagues, blah, blah, blah. But Kozar's going, he just said it real fast. And I was like, huh? And everybody starts going crazy and jumps on me. And uh, so that was a pretty cool moment as well. But yeah, I called my parents first, uh, kind of surprised them, said, hey, any chance you guys can fly out to Tampa tomorrow? And they're like, aren't you in Round Rock? I said, yeah, but uh, I'm pitching against the Rays tomorrow. So mom and dad had their little joyous moment. Mom's crying, obviously. And <laughs> dad's she got over the whole college. I bet she got over the whole college thing right there. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. She was like, yeah, it all paid off. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely everyone was overjoyed. And my, my brothers were actually in college in Florida at the time. So it all, it all worked out perfect to have a lot of uh, family members that were able to get out kind of last minute. And then uh, my second start was at home in Houston against Oakland. So obviously the whole I, – I think I left the most tickets I've ever left in my life <laughs> at, that, at that game. Um, but yeah, that, those were the surreal moments that I think uh, players remember more than anything when they're when they're done. Obviously, I'm only speaking for myself on this uh, on this interview, but I get the feeling that a lot of a lot of guys, you know, the first one and your last one, or unless you have something. Cra- I mean, I never had the uh, the luck uh, and skill to throw a no hitter or anything like that. But uh, you know, I feel like the first and last starts you make are the ones that you remember the most. What was the last start? We heard the first one. My last start, I believe. See, I don't. I, I don't remember the last one as much. I think it was against Milwaukee and San Diego, um, but I was going through a lot of injuries. I, I know my last start was in San Diego, um, and then I spent a lot of time in Peoria trying to get healthy. And um, yeah, I don't have as memorable as, as uh, uh, an exit as I do as I did an entrance to the big leagues. But uh, the entrance was one heck of a story. So six and a third, no hitter. I think that's. Yeah, that's- yeah. I uh, I definitely will hang my hat on on that one and yeah I like for performance wise you know guys we can stick to 2013 2014 if you <laughs> <laughs> no, no we you know but here, let me ask you you know now you you make some interesting points because I think this is key because you you had a lot of upside like you say you you were doing stuff and we talked about it before the show just so people know 2008 World Showcase for Perfect Game Jared Cosart was there. And he threw the ball uh, 93 miles an hour off the mound. That's what according I just looked it up before we were on. Um, but from the outfield, 101 miles an hour. And on the summary, on Jared's summary, which is which is right there on, on the internet, recorded the highest velocity ever in a workout from an outfielder. So obviously Jared was a very talented high school player. He could play multiple sports and the arm. And, and really the projections there, Jared, were you would be a high draft pick. 
Now, you weren't a high draft pick, but you got high draft pick money. So good for that. But how much do you think? Because you're kind of right in that transition of these young pitchers that that went from big tools to now the analytic age. And I know the Astros are kind of fomenting it back then. It wasn't in full swing yet. But how do you think that affects your career? And what would your career look like now if you were throwing 101 from the outfield and you were 18 years old and you're coming up with the game now transitioning to where it is right now? Uh, it's changed so much. I, I don't know. And I honestly don't know. I don't think I was very good analytics wise. I don't know where, I don't know what my spin rate, I don't know what any of that, I don't know where I fell on the, on the categories. Um, but it's, it's changed so much. I don't really know. Honestly, um, Joe, back then I, I wanted to be an outfielder. Um, I, I loved playing every day. I really, I really only started pitching because my high school needed me to throw one day. We didn't have any arms. And they were just like, can you pitch? Was, I think it was my junior year. And I was just like, yeah, I mean, I can try. And apparently I was throwing 96 and caused a big stir down in Houston. Um, then the next next game, a scout starts showing up. And I was like, oh, okay. So I guess I'm – I guess I'm, I don't even know if I was good at pitching in high school. I just knew I threw hard. Um, yeah. And, you know, I kind of – that actually kind of followed me um, into my career. I was always, you know, I, I probably threw 75 to 80% fastballs my entire career, um, which I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I can make it now in today's, today's game. These, the hitters and the, I mean, watching these guys pitch nowadays, it's like everybody throws 97 with cut and sink and just nasty curveballs. The game's evolving. So I, I don't know. I, I think I could, could still have found a way to get people out. Um, I was always fighting myself trying to do that, but uh, I think I, I'd like to think I could could have got some outs and, and been, you know, a useful arm for someone. But you know, the the talent, the the evolution of the game is is definitely trending upwards. And mainly, the stuff is. I mean, I was watching an old uh, Red Sox Yankees game, I think from like 2003, and I think I saw you know Keith Folt was throwing 94, and he was the hardest thrower in that game. Yeah. Um, now it's like 94, you're getting laughed at. Yeah, well, there there are teams that won't even look at you, if, you know, unless the pitcher is throwing ninety five. Like that's kind of, they'll look and they'll say, oh, they won't even turn, they won't even write anything on you unless you're hitting ninety five. And yeah, and I think I think um, kind of like I touched on with about the Phillies earlier. A lot of these teams I'm seeing, they still have the same. Um, I don't know if they still have the same front office, but it's the same approach in drafts. Like if you look at the Phillies, they're just taking, they take athletic high school kids and, and polished college pitchers. And then, um, you know, I remember the Tigers, Detroit, everybody threw a hundred. I swear, like in the Gulf coast league, they were running out dudes throwing a hundred every single day. Um, so I think a lot of these teams still have similar draft approach, which makes me think they'd have the same, you know, a lot of the same front office personnel, but it's, it's, it's always interesting to watch that. I don't, I don't keep up with the, the minor league levels like I used to because, you know, my brother's transitioned out of the game and I don't really, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> the, 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 game's, the game's young, you know, and that's what, you know, I said it's gotten crazy seeing um, guys like Albert Pujols retire and, and things like that. Um, you know, this next wave of, of studs is coming through. Do you think you should have been a reliever? You know, I ask myself that <laughs> every single day and – Looking at the stuff and the percentages of, you know, fastballs thrown, and I mean, I was a Joe. I was a two pitch. I was a yeah. two and a two and a quarter pitch starter. I don't know how I, you know, I made I made it as long as I did just on grit and determination. And um, obviously, my stuff was was pretty good. If you know, being able to 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 carve out you know that many years as a starter with two pitches, you know, my fastball had some some natural cut to it. I, I flipped the horseshoe over. Um, I had Bert Hooten pitching coach in AAA and I, he had me flip the, to the other side of the four seam and my balls just started cutting naturally. Um, and you know, that's, I pretty much lived on that pitch. I pretty much stuck around on, on that pitch. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty looking at myself pitch now, like watching old videos and stuff. It's, it's kind of, I'm like, how did I, how did I do it? <laughs> yeah. Cause that's an interesting thing. Like I, you know, and you're being honest, and I appreciate that. Because what would you know if I ask that question to ninety percent of of pitchers, what are they going to say? I'm a starter, right? Because yeah. because that's what you have to be. That's the that's the highest commodity for an organization. That's what scouts are paid to go find five star, you know, twenty five starters, and hope that you got five. 
you know, and, but I, you know, when you look at the long game and, and where it projects out of those pretty much 50 or so percent are really relievers, but they're they're And I know, and I get, remember Stan Meek and we've had multiple times on the show when he would draft, he's drafting starter first and then they transition them. Obviously all teams kind of do that, but I've always wondered why the sport doesn't spit. And I get it. It's because the starting pitcher is hard to find, but why not just say this guy's a, this guy's a closer profile more than, You know, he's a starter profile, and maybe he's a two-winning bridge guy, or maybe he's just a high leverage. He's my seventh, eighth, ninth candidate. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. I, I actually, uh, Chad Qualls in Houston, he was one of the veteran guys I had, a uh, great guy. But he always would say, you know, he made it 10 years in the big leagues being a failed starter. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he, he uh, got drafted as a starter and went through the minor leagues as a starter, and then you know, went to the bullpen, carved out a, you know, 11, 12 year career. And he said, just wait, Cozart, you're going to be a failed starter one day. Come join us in the pen while you're young. And uh, I laughed about it. But now looking back, I'm like, you know, you look at things like maybe I don't have as many injuries, you know, obviously um, relievers throw a lot like on the daily basis, but the innings, you know, the innings are less, but they're also, you know, high stress innings. So I don't know. There's a lot of questions that that could have, would have, should have, I have that that battle all the time but um I def- it's definitely been a thought and looking at it now it's like with my stuff and you know the profile like you said I don't know how you know a Miami doesn't throw me in the bullpen you know that second second maybe that second or third year I was there I get it in theory I, I won 14 games in 2014 so it's like why are we going to put this guy in the bullpen but at the same time you know after I started having the injuries and things like that maybe uh Going back to the bullpen would have would have changed things. But well, the Marlins completely messed up Brad Hand doing that. You know, Absolutely. first of all, they they blew out his options, which made him you know very expendable. Uh, the he basically was a like, like you're saying you were a two pitch pitcher. He was basically a two pitch pitcher, but he was a lefty who threw kind of hard. So yeah. they wanted him in the rotation, and then he goes to they get, when they finally had to release him because they they messed up his options because yeah. he was in the big leagues too early. And he becomes a multiple-year all-star because they taught him how to really make that slider wipeout. And he had a great fastball and a great slider. And he was, for a four- or five-year window, one of the best closers in baseball. Absolutely. Great great teammate as well. Um, It's always fascinating to see that. And and it makes you, you know, there's there's probably multiple guys that have been in the position that I was in or, or Brad's situation. It's like, why do you keep running them out there as a starter? You're like, why not even try, you know? But... You know, I don't question. You can't get caught up in that as a as a player. You just you're you're getting paid to do a job, and you do what they say. So it's definitely something that it, it's more fun to look at now that that I'm you know past the playing days. I don't even know if I could throw ninety anymore. Uh, I don't even think I throw eighty actually, but it's fun to look at stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk, let's talk about you know your your injuries and and such, and, and they started happening. You you dealt with vertigo when you're here in Miami. Uh, take people through your challenges there and what advice you give. And, and and that diagnosis, as you look back now, was everything, you know, what they said it is or do you think it was something else? Yeah, I uh, I haven't really had any recurring incidents, I guess. It pretty much was just 2015 and a little bit of 2016. But I had a, a sinus infection. I mean, I was pretty sick. And then we made a cross-country flight from – Miami to LA, I believe. And, um, quite honestly, uh, I mean, you can go back and look, I, I lied to the, to everybody and, and said my hamstring was injured. Um, cause I was out there on the mound in LA and I could not like everything was spinning and I, I thought I was going to die. Um, so I was like, well, I don't want to tell everybody that I think I'm going to die. I didn't want to tell them I need to come out of this game. And hopefully that, you know, cause I was sick at the time. I was like, hopefully this just goes away, you know? Um, but then it, it kept going. And, uh, so when I got back to Miami, I I let them know. And then obviously that's a very scary time. You know, I was, you know, every day it felt like, you know, I was going to pass out and I was dizzy and everything was off kilter. Um, so that's a very scary feeling. And then, you know, you know, the Marlins medical staff was awesome. Um, getting everything set up. I had every test known to man done, which is also scary. You know, you're getting brain scans and, um, MRIs, EKG, x-rays, laser beams all over your body. And you, you, you know, obviously I'm just praying and hoping for the best. 
And then, you know, I have doctors look at me and say, why are you here? You know, like you're, you're as healthy as anybody we've ever seen. So I'm like, well, no, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, something's wrong. So then you're like questioning yourself, like is something really wrong with me or is this all in my head? And then, you know, I got diagnosed with vertigo. I ended up going, uh, seeing Dr. Jim Buzzkirk up in Chicago, who was, you know, amazing, did a lot of, uh, therapy, uh, vestibular therapy is what it's called, getting my brain um, synced up with my eyes and ears and everything, like all kinds of head exercises and mechanisms and things like that. But after I went and saw him, I was there for about two weeks. The Marlins kept me up there for about two weeks and then um, came back from that. And, you know, I felt pretty, pretty normal. Um, but then uh, a couple arm injuries later and, and that was that was it for me. Yeah. Yeah, Dave, jump in. Uh, and I know we're a visual sh- or we're an audio show, not a visual. But you made mention of the uh, the adjustment to your grip on the four seam a little bit ago. Yeah. Is there a way you could explain that to our audience? Um, I know so it's I tough. Had, uh, I had usually on the four seam. I had the horseshoe um, inward. Basically, the the shoe was to the left, like my index finger. The, uh, the shoe was to the left, the horseshoe was to the left. So I flipped it over to the opposite side, basically had my middle finger towards the horseshoe instead of the index finger. And for whatever reason, I just started getting some natural cut on it. And uh, yeah, that pretty much made my career. <laughs> I went from throwing a, a straight, I mean, I always threw hard, I went, I, but throughout the minor leagues, my fastball was relatively straight. You know, I was a mid '90s guy with a straight fastball, twelve six curveball, and then all of a sudden, I actually had Carlos Corporan catching me on a rehab assignment in uh, Oklahoma City before I made my debut, and he was like, "Dude, what the heck is that?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't know." Thank Bert Hooten, I guess. <laughs> um, but, Just a matter yeah. of different pressure on the fingers at, at different points. And you do anything to your your um, your delivery? Nothing to your no. finish. Nothing at all. I just flipped that shoe over and I, I would say I was getting a little bit more pressure on my middle finger and I kind of, my thumbs are double jointed. So even when I gripped a normal two seam, I kind of offset the ball naturally just because of how my fingers are. But yeah, I legitimately just flipped that horseshoe over and the ball started cutting on me. And that's and, a great uh, message to the young kids in the audience too. And some of the coaches, how, how are you transferring? You, you've gone through and you know, it's hard for you to see now because you're not that far removed from your career, but the things that you've gone through are very valuable lessons for kids trying to make it as well. And I, 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 meant, I know you mentioned you're doing some lessons now. How are you transferring all this information over to the youth that you're trying to help out? Never have too much pride. Um, I didn't, you know, one of the things, everybody always asks, what would you do differently now that you're done playing? Um, I would have definitely asked a million more questions. You know, I'm, I just sit here and think about how dumb I was. You know, I played with, you know, Jose was one of the best pitchers in, to ever do it. And I never asked him how he threw his slider. I never asked him how he threw his fastball. Um, you know, you play with, you know, some really, really high caliber players as hitters. And I didn't one time ask a Yelich or a, a Stanton or a Martin Prado, you know, what's your thought process up there when you get in this count? What's it, what, what do you, you know, are you looking for certain things? You know, there, there's just so many things in that regard um, that I would have done different. And that's what I'm telling these, these kids nowadays. It's like when you're, when you have some downtime during the off season and you start playing catch again, which I mean, message to all baseball players out there, you need a month off. You need two months off. You need some time to live your life and it will help you appreciate the game of baseball that much more. Um, but when you start ramping it up, you know, when you're playing catch, you know, try different grips. I mean, ask your friends how they throw pitches. If you got a kid on your team that has a, has a hammer for a curveball, you know, why not ask him, you know, how he throws it, go on YouTube, watch these big leaguers, you know, look, you can go on, you know, you can all, all these high level guys, Verlander and stuff. I'm sure they have, on Google, how they hold their pitches. And, you know, I don't know if they're, you know, showing all information for everyone to see because, you know, maybe they don't want to tell somebody. Um, but it does not ever hurt to, you know, ask good players or ask anyone that's done it. Heck, you might learn. I remember Brad Peacock, um, he 
um, played with me was one of my good friends in the minor leagues. He made a, you know, he made his career by asking a guy that was in double A at the time, how he threw his slider in spring training. And, you know, it, it, it was a really, really good, it was his best pitch. So be a sponge. Uh, don't, don't be too prideful. I think I got to that point in my career where I was so focused and I guess you can call it selfish, but, um, you know, when you're in the big leagues doing it, someone's trying to take your job. So I think people get caught up um, in that selfishness a little bit and, and don't take it in from all the guys around them. No, oh, this is, that's great, great stuff, Jared. And, and, and you really, you know, trigger some of my memories from, from things about, I don't think enough put people in the game and I, I, even reporters talk the game. They're so numbers driven that the numbers define the game for them. And yes. they, they just think the numbers do the work for them. But, but you talked on something and very interesting, I thought, on grips. And I remember back when Al Leiter in his second tenure with the Marlins, it was funny because they brought Al Leiter here like in 2005, I believe was the year, and it, it didn't go well. But um, he and Jack McGee didn't exactly see eye to eye. But uh, it, um, Al was there to help Dontrell Willis because they're both lefties. Well, Dontrell, like, couldn't understand anything I was saying because he was way too complicated for him. And you know who he helped out a lot? Josh Beckett. He was, like, the right-hander. And and Josh would just talk to Al about, you know, pitching all the time. And and I would, you know, be in conversations with, the three, you know, the three of us. And, and Al had told me, he said, back when Kevin Brown was there, part of the 07, you know, excuse me, the 97 Marlins first World Series team, that Al Leiter and, and Kevin Brown on the days we weren't pitching, they were they would watch obviously the starter and they would sit there either in the dugout or, or if they were in the bullpen before the game, and they would just sit there and they'd hold the baseball and they'd say, Well, how do you throw your slider? Do you put a little bit more pressure in the middle finger, the index finger? How do you grip your change? Like they would they would just hold the ball and do that. That was part of and I really think that that's being lost. I think we need to talk to sport. And, and, and you only do that by talking. Absolutely. I mean, now I can see it. And I don't, again, I'm not heavily in contact with a ton of younger guys that are in the game, but I can tell you that all these kids are more worried about how can I get my spin rate to 2,700 or 2,800. And, you know, that, that's like the constant battle instead of, you know, I, I think they're almost losing the art of, you know, learning how to really pitch. You got all these top velocity, you know, programs and things like that, which I, I'm not against any of that stuff, but I think there's so much emphasis on how hard can you throw and what's my spin rate than, you know, the, the little the beautiful parts of baseball. And, I, and there's a way to do both. And, I, and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that, that, you know, have found that balance of, you know, how can I get the best of both worlds? But I, I think it has... Uh, started to go away you know it's, it's a lost art just sitting there and talking about you know grip pressure little little things like that and maybe I'm wrong I don't know but I, I, it's definitely something I could see um, starting to creep into to a lot of these young kids I mean it, it's it's scary as a coach when you got 11 year olds you know asking how they can throw harder and gain more you, you know and, and there's ways to do it but you know at that age it's like go out there and have a fun time playing baseball because you want to talk about numbers. You have a less than one percent chance of making it, and I don't want to be yes. the bearer. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, and I don't want to sound like that guy. But you know, you have to be like you said. This is an honest. It's an honest podcast. It's an honest interview. Like I have to be honest with parents. I have to be honest with you know. Even even if you're playing Division One college baseball, you still have a less than one percent chance of making it. I mean that that's that's the statistics are there to back that up. But the the thing is, and and you said it. We're going to touch on your brother Jake that he didn't make it higher, you know, than AAA in the, in the Red Sox system, yet he's involved in baseball. You know, my son, who I'm not sure if you, you met when, when yeah. we were here, he's a scout with Arizona. He never made it higher than high school ball. You right. know, you, uh, don't, you, know, you, you can make it, but how do you make it? His brain, his, he's, yes. he knows the sport at a level that's so high, but why did he know that? Because he was around the game, uh, obviously having a, a big brother in the game, uh, in the Cozart family helps, but you, you have to talk it. You have to live it, you have to experience it. You can't just run it through a computer and spit it out. This is your profile and nothing else matters. Absolutely. And I think if, yeah, if you're not around the game constantly, I know that that was a big, 
a big, big battle even when I was in Miami because that, that was around the time where the analytics were really starting to take over. You know, you, a lot of the older players, you know, they don't have respect for somebody coming down from the front office um, who's never touched a baseball before trying to tell them how to throw their fastball. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's definitely a, it's a, I'm sure it's a battle in some clubhouses and front offices, but obviously baseball is doing a good, good job during this transition and uh, you know, integrating analytics and a little bit of the, uh, the old school mentality, which I would say I was more of a, old school player. Like I said, I don't know anything about how I, I ranked up analytically. I, I don't assume that maybe my curveball fit the, the mold analytically with the spin rate and all that, but I don't, I don't feel like my fastball would have had a very good spin rate because of the cut, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just interesting. But the thing is, is the beauty of the sport is the feel for the sport. And, uh, and this has been, you know, really insightful and we don't want to take up too much more of your day. Uh, we're going to get close to wrapping it up. Dave, you got any last things for Jared? No, I think, Jared, your your message is great. And to the front office people that are listening out there, um, we've got the year of baseball landscape at that level. Uh, you just got a chance to listen to a former major league player that whose experiences can be so valuable to so many minor leaguers because it is not just a game of mistakes, but you, you threw the percentages out there. Even when you get a shot to play for money, that's one. That's one next step to get to the bigs. Is uh, the, the the odds are just astronomically stacked against you. And and um, no matter how you look back on your career, like let, let, I just let them know you got two people here that are very impressed with what you did and how you battled to that point. So I think your message could be very valuable to to every club out there. So those that listening, um, I'd reach out to this this. Uh, I'll call you a young man because you're on an old man <laughs> show right here, and, uh, and 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 get a hold of them because I think we certainly wouldn't want to lose, lose your wisdom. Yeah, and, and that's that's another thing. I, on the pitching front, you know, I I pitched with. I mean, you could watch videos just when I was in Miami. I changed my delivery, you know, a hundred times. And looking back, I wish I wouldn't have because. Yeah, we talked you know, a lot about it. <laughs> yeah, if, if it's if it's not broke, don't don't fix it, guys. Um, but there's tweaks you can make without. You know, I, I don't know how many times I moved. I, I I got a little bit over analytical. That's why I'm kind of on the fence with the certain analytics because. You know, you got to find as a pitcher, you know, what's comfortable for you and your delivery mentally, what's comfortable for you. Um, you know, obviously all those guys, if they're talented enough, I mean, they could probably do a, a multitude of different things with their delivery and still have a good result. But it's like, are you comfortable? Are you mentally there? And, you know, a lot of times towards the back end of my career after the injuries and stuff, um, that mental side is is the biggest part. And I was not mentally um I was not mentally strong there at the end of my career and the injuries didn't help, but um, that's not an excuse. I didn't put enough um, time and effort into that. And that's kind of when I talk about wanting to get back in the game. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I would have done different mentally, um, you know, pre-pitch routine, things like that. Other things that I didn't talk with other pitchers about, but advice that I think I, you know, I'm doing a good job of um, helping, you know, put that on these younger kids. But I think, uh, there's a lot of guys in the minor leagues right now that are going through the same struggles that I went through that I wouldn't talk to anybody about. And it's hard. Like you said, when you're doing it for money, somebody's trying to take your job and you don't want to, a lot of times you don't want to be that player. Like, Oh, I don't want to sound like a, you know, a loser or whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to voice. You can't show weakness, right? You don't exactly. want to show weakness. Exactly. You don't want to be considered soft. You don't want to be that, you know, how's you don't want to be judged. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be that, guy and i tell anybody that's listening to this that's playing minor league ball high school ball college ball at any level do not be afraid to talk to somebody you know when you're dealing with something you know life's hard um baseball's hard um baseball is very very hard um and, and i got caught up a lot in wanting to do it all myself not because i didn't think other people could help me but you know because i was i was scared um and looking back, that's one of the biggest mistakes I made. And that's what, what I tell everybody. Does, if you have a bad day, talk to somebody, you know, because it will it will go with you out to that field, whether you like it or not. Um, and, and you never know what people are going through. That's what I'm saying. Like sometimes bad, people have bad outings because, you know, they just got a huge fight with their wife and, you know, one of their kids are sick or whatever. You, you know, a lot of people don't know, like the naked eye that just watch a baseball game. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that's not talked about. So. I encourage any age, any skill level, 
you know, you got to have fun in this game or it will eat you alive. My, from the middle of 2015 till the 2017, I was not having fun playing baseball. Um, I was not a great teammate. I was not, you know, I was not in a great headspace and that definitely affected. And I have no problem talking about that with anyone. Any of you kids, front office people want to reach out and talk to me, get my phone number from Joe or Dave. I have no, I can talk about that at length. Oh, I think this is a good point to end on because I don't think you could wrap it up any better than that. Um, Jericho, sir, you come back here when we, when we need you, right? You're, you're available? Oh, anytime you guys have my number, I love talking. We, I, we can talk about anything. Man. I, I, I don't have anywhere to go. I know you guys probably do, but I could, I could talk for hours about I could dive deeper into that stuff at a later date, whatever you guys want. Absolutely. Dave, one last thing for him. Yeah, no, just, uh, Jared, thanks so much for being candid. I think our audience, we have a very smart baseball IQ audience, and they appreciate uh, people like yourself coming on and just shooting it straight at them. And, you know, I'll, I'll pass back on to Joe after just thanking our 18,200 subscribers here. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review so we can battle the analytics of the podcast world like we do in baseball. We can keep giving you great content like Joe did here today, and he does every week with his guests. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Or all of them. And Joe's man on second. Make sure you follow him. He's killing it with the prep baseball out there in Florida. You're, uh, you, you've taken it to a new level out there, Joe. Um, <laughs> 72 countries, grassroots MLB front offices, just trying to build that better baseball IQ. And, uh, and as Jared alluded to, to our, you know, our disclaimer at the beginning, we're going to hit a lot of uncomfortable truths about baseball and just uh, understand that, that we have no time for little comfortable lies that are, that are being passed out there. So we get you straight between the eyes and everything. So yeah. Yeah, before I, I sign it off, and uh, I do want to note and, and underscore this and thank Jared Cozart and obviously thank Dave for all you do. And and the beauty of baseball, and I think I think Jared agree, and, and one of the beauties of this sport is it's a fraternity and you do it for the relationships. And this is how you know, I probably haven't, you know, spoken even over Facebook friends, haven't, you know, reached out to Jared in, in four or five years. But I always knew how to reach him or how to go about reaching him. And the beauty of, like I said, this sport is the relationships you build in it. And that's the beauty of why you want to be part of it. And you could hear the passion in Jared Cozart's voice and what he can offer. He just didn't have this great run with no adversity and life was great and, you know, made $100, 200000000 million. He, he's a regular guy who had a lot of talent and, and has a really good story to tell and has a lot to offer our sport and whatever he does in life. And, and I personally want to thank Jared for, for being as candid and, and being the good, the good guy that he is. And he's obviously welcome back whenever. And, uh, and Dave, the same with you, you just bring it every week and, and we're just crushing it and we're going to keep doing it. And cause we have something to offer. And with that, I'm going to log it out. I'm Joe Persaro, man on second, and we are out of here. Yeah.